All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it open to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. I'll read it, we'll pray, and we will get to work. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Let's read it. It says, they devoted themselves, this is talking about the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be the kind of church that is devoted to the things that are pleasing to you. We want to be the kind of church that people experience as heaven on earth. We, we want to be an outpost of what you are up to in this world. And Lord, we're praying that you would help us to move in that direction. And we're praying, Lord, that you would give us wisdom to know what that means and that we would be willing to chase after your desire for us in this season. And Lord, we're praying that, uh, that we would become the kind of church that is pleasing to you. We pray in your name. Amen. Let me read this quote from Eugene Peterson, an author and pastor, uh, who um, he writes like this. He says, so why church? He's kind of asking that provocative question of why, why do any of us really get up on a Sunday morning and take time out of our weekly routine and show up here and try to corral the kids and get them off to kids' church and all these different things. Why, why do we even bother with this thing? I mean, especially if you just kind of look at it and you go, oh, it just, you know, it's kind of ordinary. You know, it's in, in many ways, it's unspectacular if you're looking at it from a naked eye. And so why, why church? And he goes on to say this, the short answer is because the Holy Spirit formed the church to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. Church is the core element in the strategy of the Holy Spirit for providing human witness and physical presence to the Jesus-inaugurated kingdom of God in this world. He's saying church is the place that is intended to be the visible reality, the visible representation of Christ and his kingdom in this world. Now, it's not that this kingdom is in its complete form presently. If you peek in here, you recognize this does not look like the kingdom of heaven per se but it is a witness to that kingdom. It testifies to the reality of that kingdom of Christ. The church is an appointed gathering of named people in a particular place who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. The practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, life out of death, life that trumps death, life that has the last word, the Jesus life. Church is intended to be a place where you can look in and you can see the power of the resurrected Christ at work. And I'll be the first to admit that we are flawed and we are ordinary. And, you know, from mere observance of our services, you might not come to that conclusion. But a part of my calling, as I see it, is to help people fall in love with the local church and to perceive what God has gifted to us in our true identity. 
The local church is meant to be something like heaven on earth. It is meant to be a place where people come in and they experience genuine and sincere care and love. It's meant to be a place where the reality of Jesus Christ is testified to, where we can see the living Christ on display in people in their ordinary lives living out their faith in him. The church is intended to be a beautiful reality, and our job then is to work in that direction, to begin to lay claim to what God has gifted to us in that true identity. So we find in Acts chapter 2, we find an example of the first century church living in the kind of way that I do believe is very pleasing to God. And we see different elements of what they're up to, and if we were to adopt and practice some of those different elements, I think we'd be on the right track. So that's what we're up to with this series. We are thinking through how can the local church begin to feel like heaven on earth. So each week we're looking at a different aspect, and today we're looking at the teaching ministry of the local church. If you look at verse 42, it reads like this, they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to learning something about this teaching that the apostles were engaged in, and I'm going to ask two questions. What kind of teaching are we talking about? What is it that they were teaching? I mean, what is this body of knowledge that's being shared here? And the second question that I have is, what kind of devotion? I mean, what do we mean when we say they were devoted? So what are the things that they were doing that would express their devotion? So let's get to work. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were those unique individuals commissioned by God himself to explain the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its implications. And you can read about that on our daily devotions on our website, the articles that Phil has been writing. uh, I think within the last week he wrote on apostleship, and you can see that there. But the apostles were the, the, the teachers of the church explaining the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means. And I want to point out a few different aspects to their teaching. It doesn't tell us here. It doesn't give us a description of this teaching ministry. So we have to begin to think through where else could we go to find out what sort of things they would be teaching. I'm going to give you three, and I'm going to show them to you from other places in the Bible. The apostles' teaching, first of all, was biblical, meaning they, what they were doing when they were meeting with the, the local church, what they were doing is they were taking Scripture and opening it, opening it up and showing what it is and what it means. They were committed to the Bible. This was a key feature of their ministry. They were not just freestyling. They were not just kind of making things up as they were going. They were going to the Scriptures, and in their case, the Old Testament Scriptures, and they were showing that the Bible is meant to be lived and applied today. So let's, let's look at this principle as the Apostle Paul taught it when he wrote a letter to a younger minister of the gospel. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing a letter to a younger minister and he's helping him to think through what kind of ministry he ought to have and his underlying priority. He, he says it here in chapter 4. He says, you have a job and here's what it is. Preach the Bible. But he, he doesn't start like that. He actually leads up to it in a way that should make us feel the tremendous weight of this calling. Let's look at it. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, in the presence of God. Okay, we find out in other places in the Bible that God's presence 
Uh, like Isaiah chapter 6, there are angels that are flying around in the presence of God, but what are they doing? They have six wings, and with one set, they're covering their faces. With one set, they're covering their feet, and with one set, they're flying, and they're crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is this God. So when Paul says to Timothy, in the presence of God, it is a freighted term there. It's a freighted phrase. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus himself, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Okay, the way that he frames this thing out is meant to kind of convey whatever he's going to tell them to do is incredibly significant. You cannot just shrug your shoulders at this one. My, my boy Harrison, he picked up this habit lately where he does this. He's like, he's like, I don't know. You ask him a question, I don't know. And, and it bugs me, so sometimes I'll call him out on it. And if he does it in kids' church, you have my permission to call him out on it. But, but this text is meant to say, you cannot shrug your shoulders about this. You can't say, hey, in view of God's coming and his presence and the Lord himself and his judgment and all these things, here's what you need to do. And you just go, okay. In fact, I remember during my ordination ceremony when this passage was prayed over me and the weight of it just fell on my, on my soul in a way that was different. And I just got weepy. I just thought it was going to be this ordinary little commissioning, but when this passage right here from 2 Timothy 4 was, was prayed over me, it just the, the weight of it. So he says, here's your job. Verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. An apostolic teaching is one that is committed to the Bible itself. Preach the word. In fact, he earlier in the same letter in 2 Timothy, he puts it like this. He says in chapter 2, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. You, your job, Timothy, is to ensure, and you're doing your very best job to, to do this, ensure that you are rightly handling the scriptures so that you are a workman who is approved by God. But you have a commitment to this living document. You have a commitment to the scriptures themselves. Well, in practice, this was what Paul did in his own ministry. In fact, in the book of Acts, we get all these different stories about the activities of the early church and the apostolic ministry performed. And we, we see in Acts chapter 17, as Paul is traveling around and he's planting new churches and he's engaging in evangelistic ministry, we see him living this concept out. He's committed to the Bible. So Acts 17 verse 2, it says, as was his custom. This is his habit. This is what he would ordinarily do. The Apostle Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He didn't just go to the church services. The, the uh, synagogues would be like a, like a church service, and for three consecutive weeks, he was going in there, and he wasn't just like sharing his opinions. Like, hey guys, here's what I think. You know, why don't you listen to me? Uh, I'll tell you what I think about everything. No, no, no. He was reasoning from the Old Testament Scriptures. It was his habit. It was his custom. So he was committed to the Bible, and that is a key feature of the apostles' teaching ministry. It is a ministry of Scripture. So we might ask, what are the other options? Like, if they're committed to the Bible, what else could happen? I mean, what else might they be talking about? And Paul tells us about that as well. 
he tells us that there is a resistance to the scriptures. In chapter 4, we were looking at the charge, but he goes on to explain it like this. He says, Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. And then in verse 3, it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. See, he's telling us this is in the human soul. This is what we do. We do not always enjoy what the Bible has to say. And a time is coming where people will not put up with sound teaching, but instead they will find people who are going to tell them what they already want to hear so that they can nod their heads along and go, man, I love this church. I leave this church feeling so good about myself. And what we have then is, is in real time, in, in our day and age, it's kind of like a glorified TED Talk where you feel inspired, you feel like you've gained new information, you feel like you got some new marching orders to go out into the world and do some, some things differently, but really it's just glorified self-help. In fact, one author puts it like this, some preaching today is, is basically just scripturally footnoted self-help meaning that you're, you're going to find the same messaging you could find in the Barnes & Noble section on self-help, and there's going to be some Bible verses peppered in there. But it is not really the message of the Bible. It's just substantiating what they are already saying. Hey, here's your purpose. Here's, your, here's what God, you know, God wants you to do. Here's what it would look like. Here's the steps you need to take. So we want to be a heaven-on-earth church, and that means we're going to have to commit ourselves to the Bible, and sometimes... What the Bible says is unpopular, and people will hear it, and they will resist it. They don't want to hear the things that God actually says, and so instead they would gather to themselves teachers who will tickle their itching ears, who will say what they want to hear. We know this to be the case. Um, we've had conversations about it this week. If we preach the Bible around here, some people will love it, some will hate it, and we have to be okay with that. But the apostolic teaching is one that is committed to the Scripture, so we, around here, we want to do that. In fact, the way in which I preach is actually a part of this conviction. Uh, it's called expositional preaching. It's the style that I've kind of adopted because, I, I, not that it's the only way to preach and not that it's the only style of preaching that God blesses, but it is a style of preaching that says, I'm going to give weight and authority to the scriptures. And ex exposition means you're, you're, re you're exposing, you're revealing what's there. Let's open up a paragraph, let's look at it, let's see what God has said here. And let's reveal that, and then let's think through how that might change our lives. And if we do this week by week, over and over again, we're going to be exposed to an awful lot of scripture. And I hope that that is a beautiful thing for you, a thing that you would count as an advantage of our church. But in general, if the apostolic teaching was biblical, then that has implications for all of us. If we're going to be a heaven-on-earth kind of church, we have to be a people, individually and corporately, who care about the Bible. And we have to figure out ways to orient our lives to hear and respond to the messaging of the Bible. Well, a second category of their teaching was that it was Christ-centered. It's not just biblical, because 
there, there, there's a tendency that people can open the Bible and they can treat it as if it is just mere information. And people can go to Bible colleges and seminaries and get an entire head full of information, but it doesn't actually change them because it hasn't led them to see what the purpose of the Bible really is. The purpose of the Bible is to lead us to faith in Christ. So their teaching was Christ-centered. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writing to Timothy says, You have known the Holy Scriptures. He's, he's talking, they don't have the New Testament yet. So he's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures, and he says, Hey, Timothy, you have this incredible privilege. You grew up in a household where the Scriptures were taught to you. You should thank God for that. And he says, and you've known them since your infancy. You know these holy scriptures, he says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul seems to think that you can read the Old Testament and you can come to faith in Christ. That's wild. He seems to think that you can read the book of Leviticus and become a follower of Jesus Christ. He views the Bible as a document that is intended to bring us to faith in Christ. That is what his apostolic ministry is about. It's about the scriptures, but the scriptures in relation to the person and work of Jesus himself. When we open the Bible, we have to get to a place where we come away feeling like, I have a greater appreciation for my Savior. I didn't just get new information. I worship the Lord for what he's done for me. The Bible leads me to recognize my need for him, and it leads me to place my faith in him, and it inspires me to worship him because of his saving work and his redeeming work on my behalf. Again, go back to Acts 17, where we find out it was Paul's custom to go into the synagogue and to reason from the scriptures. And look at, look at what the reasoning is. What is he doing with the Bible? He's opening it. He's explaining it. He's reasoning from it. He's showing the logic of it. And here's what he does. Verse 3, he's explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And he makes it very plain. Here, here's what he says. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. He's taking the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, and he's showing, here's what they're all about. This had to happen. The, the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord. And let me just make it very plain. Jesus of Nazareth, that's him. Messiah. So he is showing us the point of the Bible. It's not just that we open the Bible. We open the Bible to find the Lord. So when we do this, we, we walk away from church recognizing, I'm a sinful individual, but thanks be to God that he sent his, his son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place. And thanks be to God that he is redeeming me and changing me from the inside out. I'm, I'm not just walking away from church going, hey, I got some ideas for how I could do my life better. I'm walking away from church going, there's a Savior who has redeemed me and is changing me, and I worship him. So their ministry was Christ-centered. Their ministry is also practical. That's the third aspect I want to share with you here. When they were engaged in their apostolic teaching, it was very practical. If you read the New Testament, it, it deals with life. I mean, our last series, The Gospel and Real Life, we were thinking through, you know what? The gospel has a bearing on how we eat. 1 Corinthians 10.31. 
both what we put in our mouth and what we do while we're eating and who we eat with and all these different things. God cares about the meal table. God cares about our work, Colossians 3.23. He cares about the ethic in which we engage in our work, the way in which we do our studies. He cares about the, the way in which we deal with coworkers. He cares about all of that. He cares about our resting in Mark 6.31. We find out about the importance of coming away with the Lord and resting with him. He cares about our communication, Ephesians 4.29. He cares about the way in which we send out our emails and we send out our text messages and we communicate with people face-to-face. The gospel is for our entire lives. It's meant to have an influence on every detail of everything that we are engaged in. Political involvement in 1 Peter chapter 2, domestic life, in marriage, and parenting, and work relationships, and the like. God wants the whole gospel to be applied to our whole lives. You know what that means? If we're going to, if we're going to be devoted to apostolic teaching, that means we're going to have to begin to think through how does the message of Christ crucified and risen apply to the nitty-gritty details of my entire life? And I'm going to be honest with you right here. Sunday mornings can't get it done. There's just no way. There's no way for me to stand up here and to work out all of the intricacy of applying the gospel to every aspect of our lives. I can give some broad brush strokes and I can give some general ideas, but the truth is if you're going to be devoted to the teaching of Scripture, you're going to have to figure out in what other ways can you begin to take that message of Christ crucified and risen and massage it into your life. Let me give you some ideas because the second question we have here is, what kind of devotion do they have? What does it mean to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? Well, on the one hand, it means that they come to church. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They were meeting in those larger group settings. They were devoted to ongoing gathering with God's people so that they might hear the word taught in that large group setting, and they were, they were willing to do that. We should do the same. In the book of Acts, we find out that this is what they continued to do. They would meet in lecture halls where there was enough space to gather a large amount of people together. They would meet as a large group in bigger homes where people had the capacity to welcome in the local church, and the, the apostles would do teaching there. They would meet in synagogues, which were the Jewish teaching points of that community. So they were committed to those sorts of things. They were committed to gathering with the Lord's people on the Lord's day. Now we should follow suit. If we want to be this kind of church, heaven on earth, we need to begin to think through, can I design my life so that I'm able to gather with God's people as often as possible? So that I'm able to be in that larger group setting with one another, sharing in the Lord's word week by week. And many of you do this, and I'm I'm very impressed by the cadence of of attendance. It's, It's alarming to look at church statistics nowadays and how infrequently people go to church. And many of you are are working to to make this a habit, and I, I commend you for it. But we need a plan, and we need to say that this is a priority, and we need to work in this direction because they were devoted in that way. They said, look, we are going to make it our habit, our routine, our rhythm to gather with God's people. 
But again, that is not all. They were also committed to gathering together in smaller groups of people. Verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They had a small group experience. It doesn't say small group here, but you can imagine what this looked like. They would open their homes to each other and they would share meals together. And it was a beautiful thing. And it's here that I think that the nitty-gritty details of our lives begin to be opened up to one another, and we can actually begin to think through, okay, how do I do this? How do I apply the gospel to my real relationships and my real um, assignments that I have in front of me? We need the small group place of discussion where we can begin to think through the, those details of what does it mean to go to, church, go to church on Sunday morning, but then to turn around and go to work as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Great concept, but what do we mean by that? What, what sorts of things would I do? And again, this cannot be accomplished in a sermon, but I do think that it can be accomplished around a dinner table where we open our lives to each other and we share those sorts of things and we pray and we give feedback and encouragement. In fact, the Puritans, they actually labeled this a spiritual practice. There are things like Bible reading and prayer and fasting and solitude and, and on and on and on. And they said, hey, here's one we want all of our church members engaged in. They called it conference, which is a, it's a weird name, but here's what they meant by it. We want people after church to talk about what they heard at church. We want them to have a conference, to sit down and to begin to discuss together, what did I hear? What does that mean for me? And I'm going to have that ongoing conversation routinely. So I think we need to do this. And there are a lot of reasons why. One is simply for retaining information. I think I've told you this story before. I got done with church one day uh, a couple years ago now. I'm at home in our neighborhood. My neighbor walks over, doesn't come to our church, but is curious and says, hey, what'd you preach on? And I went, what did I preach on? And I couldn't even recall okay, that was this morning, and I memorized, you know, I recited that and worked hard on it. I'm like, I don't even, what did I preach on? So if, if I can't remember, good luck, right? If, if I preach on a Sunday morning, and, and we walk out of here, and we're like, oh, that was fun, and then we go off to our lives, and we just forget about it. But what if we adopt the spiritual practice of conference, where we get together, we talk about it. We go, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to live this thing out? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to breaking bread in their homes and eating together. Now, we have, we have a, another category that I think in some ways is unique to our situation. We can engage in personal devotion to the Lord. Meaning, in the first century, they didn't have printing presses, so they, they weren't able to just give out Bibles. Like, we have Bibles that if you don't have one, you could take one home today. They didn't have that opportunity. They also didn't have cars so they had to design their lives to be able to walk to all their different meetings. So the reason why they were meeting every day was because they didn't have the opportunity to be in the presence of the Word of God unless they were to do that. So they'd walk over to the temple courts so that they could hear more about the Bible. They were devoted to the Bible, so they designed their life to do that. We have the ability to get up in the morning, to turn on the coffee pot, to open up a devotional book or the scriptures, to open up something that will help us to, to bring the word into us, to have biblical intake, and we can do that 
at our convenience. And so I would say we ought to be doing that. I mean, I'm happy if, if you guys push on me and you say, hey, let's open the church every morning and let's do some devotions. And if you guys all said that, I'd work really hard to make it happen. But the truth is most of us, what we need is we need to get up in the morning and we need to open, or whatever time of day, we figure out a way to open the scriptures and engage with them. We need this regular Bible engagement. That was how devoted the early church was. They were figuring out, how can I bring more of the scripture into my heart and into my life? Well, we have all kinds of resources available to us, and this, this habit, this rhythm, it comes with a promise. In Psalm chapter 1, it puts it like this. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, and on it, they meditate on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. What an awesome promise. It's a gift from God. He says, look, if you do this, it's not going to disadvantage you. Yes, it's going to take commitment and time and sacrifice, but if you do this, it's a blessing. If you meditate on the word of God day and night, you will become a blessed individual. Whatever they do prospers. So listen, church, if we want to be this kind of people, devoted to the word of God, we should make it a habit to engage with ongoing Bible intake, reading the scriptures, thinking about the scriptures, applying the scriptures to our life. So we want to be devoted to biblical, Christ-centered, practical teaching. We want to devote ourselves to these things by gathering together week by week and gathering in smaller settings as time permits. And we want to have personal devotion so that we might be a learning church that is becoming heaven on earth. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us move in this direction. Pray, Lord, that you would help each and every one of us to consider how we might step into this season where we could become more devoted to learning your word, which helps us to know our Savior better and better. So, Lord, would you give us clear pathways to pursue these things? And would you make us a church that feels like heaven on earth for your glory? Amen.